also for today, we have the topic of stationary storage and grids, which I think is a fascinating topic. I can also tell you we have a next week, the, the session going to be about energy access. So maybe today we also want to talk mainly also about the grid perspective. We can also talk about topics like V2G, vehicle to grid, so combine some of these things. But the idea really is to talk about, you know, how gonna how can we decarbonize our grid and what could be the role of batteries and especially have like different viewpoints on this, maybe from different industries. And so today we don't have a, a fire starter or a conversation starter as we had the last two weeks, as we also have the next week. But this is actually a good platform then allowing us to talk more, like the people on stage, but also everyone in the audience. Um, so I would maybe say, you know, maybe we can just do a bit of a fire round with everyone on stage right now. Um, if you, um, you know, want to just say who you are, maybe what your thoughts are on this topic, and then we go, can go from there. And again, as an encouragement, especially for all the women in the audience to also join us. But of course, anybody here is really welcome to, to come on stage. So as Catherine mentioned, just raise your hand. We have to have you on here. Otherwise, you can go to Milos first. <laughs> let's do, let's go, go along the line. Milos. Yes, uh, I'm focused on battery and re-electrification. My firm is private equity investment firm focused uh, on this space. So uh, private, uh, battery and re-electrification like, and the uh, wider subject of the ener uh, energy, how it feeds to the energy, including ESS energy storage system. So, so it's uh, right in my alley. I divide the battery for the three segments or three parts, supply chain value uh, of battery. Uh, heart of the battery is battery production, battery technologies, downstream to electricity vehicles to energy storage systems and to small battery for the iPhone, iPad and, uh, and um, computer. But I'm focused on upstream on the materials for the batteries. And the, uh, like I said already, re-electrification re and uh, energy like the widest, widest subject. Uh, subject. Uh, I, don't, I see energy like the largest problem of the world today. Several years ago, we couldn't solve it. Now we have the technologies emerging, and uh, I see it also like largest opportunity in the world today. And battery is the key enabling uh, technology. Thank you very much, Milos, for this intro and your first thoughts. Let's go to Bavia next. Hey, Bavia, how are you doing? Hey, um, yes, my name is Bavia. I am uh, with Simon here at involved in Battery Associates as well as an advisory board member. I previously have worked with Tesla and conducted Fulbright research um, abroad in Europe focused on battery end-of-life options and policies. So usually I look at things with a bit of a policy or a regulatory hat. Um, in the case of stationary storage, I'm always interested at what happens with batteries once um, they're repurposed or are what you know, often are called second life batteries as well. So um, really excited to hear what others have to say or um, what they're working on in this specific um, battery type. Thanks. Thank you very much, Bavia. Let's go to Nick next. Hi, my name is Nikolai Martinuk. I'm co-founder and CEO of WePower. Uh, WePower currently operates mostly in Australia. Our focus is on uh, corporate PPAs and uh, uh, behind the meters PPAs as well, uh, which uh, recently started also to include batteries and uh, behind the meter storage. 
which uh, uh, becomes quite interesting uh, as an approach uh, in how the problems of the grid are being solved, not on the very high level, but uh, uh, by deploying more batteries uh, with clients. Very cool. Thanks so much, Nick. Um, so I think this is a very nice round you know, we can get started with. And if anybody wants to join us over time, please just raise your hand. We're happy to put you on here as well. And you can speak up. And of course, if you feel like you just want to listen again, you can, of course, always go back to the audience as well. That's we're quite fluid on here. Um, maybe I can just start off with you, Nick, because I think, you know, you mentioned Australia, and I think that's one of the most, for me at least, a really interesting, you know, place at the moment um, for like, you know, grid storage and like, you know, I mean, first the first big Tesla um, battery storage was installed there. And I think, you know, it has been a very interesting market, I feel, for batteries. Um, do you maybe have some more thoughts on the Australian market and kind of where you are standing at the moment? Yeah, sure. Yeah, Australia was one of the first markets where a large uh, Tesla battery was uh, uh, was installed uh, by Tesla and NeoN well years back. Um, so far, the results were very interesting. It's uh, it's a very good project that, uh, as far as I know, uh, generated quite a lot of revenue uh, for uh, for the uh, for the companies that operate them. Um, cool thing is, it's uh, actually um, yeah, most of the services that are frequency response services right now are being provided in uh, southern Australia by the battery which really solved their problems. Uh, and uh, it's one of the ways how you can do that, definitely. Um, there are more projects like that in Australia. Um, there's one that was recently awarded in um, Canberra, so in the uh, Australian Center Territories. Um, but there will be more built, uh, more systems built like that. But because there's there are always uh, there's also grid constraints uh, that we have there, so with the evolution and um, more renewable energy being built, most of the new developments of solar energy do include maybe not from the very start, but there are some that are developing uh, energy uh, battery storage on site straight away. But most of them have uh, um, battery storage uh, planned down the line because uh, it will it will be part of the of the future grid. Recently, and I think it was two two weeks ago, uh, first community community battery was built by Osgrid, which um, is an interesting development because I would say Australia today probably experiences more problems uh, um, that other countries are not facing yet because just of a very because of a very long grid um, but it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting way how Australia solves those problems and uh, I, I would say probably that's that's the future and uh, for most of the other markets uh, that are not yet um, at that point but uh, they can definitely learn and think and learn from Australia how how they could manage problems in the future. Awesome, thank you very much. We have so many people, we have Animesh, Boris and Rob. Do you have any thoughts on this topic, maybe this order? Animesh? Oh, I just joined in, so I think I'll listen for a bit uh, before chiming in. Sounds good. Rob, do you want to go? 
Hello, Boris. Yeah, sure. Um, nice to meet you guys. I've been following along here. Uh, I work in uh, stationary storage, but I was just curious, Nick. Uh, I worked in uh, Australia for most of 2019 on on batteries down there, and I was just curious if the uh, you know the Gen Tailors have started to really pick up with their sourcing of batteries. Um, I mean, for those that, that don't know, the Gen Tailors in Australia are typically heavily on the fossil fuels and have been a bit slow to, I think, pick those up. Uh, Nick, you may disagree, but um, that was my take anyway. So just curious if there's been a bit more momentum behind it or if that's still, if the major ones are still a bit of a laggard behind that. Nothing changed there. <laughs> uh, Shocker. Yeah, it, yeah it, nothing changed there. I would say from, I would say it's not the Gen Taylors that are doing more, most of the work right now. Uh, grid operators like Osgrid, it's uh, their they're taking on uh, to put more batteries on the grid uh, but Jen Taylor's not not much nothing changed very cool thank you for sharing cool thanks and Rob do you have any maybe just quickly what do you do with batteries in the grid sector uh, I work in um, you know I'm mostly in the US these days but uh, this is development for you know, getting battery for getting utility scale batteries in the ground. Um, so it's a bit of a um, a broad range there, but um, multiple regions in the U.S. and trying to figure out how to figure out offtake, figure out project development, figure out financing. It's uh, I think as you all know, you've all been involved in this industry. It's a pretty fun challenge. So um, you know, it's more the business side at the end of the day. Which uh, if I can provide any thoughts or inputs there, I'm happy to. But yeah, just really excited about the stuff you guys are doing and talking about here. It's really interesting. Thank you, Rob. And I think it's a really interesting question to come back to, like what are maybe the the biggest roadblocks at the moment um, for, for more installations and more effective implementation? Um, Fabian, do you want to go next? Quick intro, what do you do? Oh, hi. So I'm Fabian. I'm also in Australia. So I thought I'd, I'd chime in with some comments on the Australian context. Uh, I run a software startup that provides modeling services for project developers uh, for solar and battery projects. Um, and I thought about just comment on the activities of the Gen Tailors because we have a few customers who are Gen Tailors, and I guess we see action in a couple of different areas. So I think they're looking on with some curiosity and alarm at the network businesses rolling out community batteries, and so are looking at developing their own projects in that area. So this is kind of local neighbourhood storage. They're looking at deploying batteries as solutions for their commercial industrial customers, and some of the large Gen Tailors have announced projects to co-locate batteries at some of their existing. You know, large-scale generators, um, as Nick referred to, so both both kind of renewables, but also non-renewable generation systems. So I think there's a lot of there's a lot of projects in development in Australia. Um, it's 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 quite a dynamic area right now. Can I go next? Yes, please, Boris. Uh, hey, hello, everyone. I'm here on the beach now in a great day in in Ireland. And uh, uh, it's very interesting is because I'm following the, uh, how is uh, generated the energy in Australia. And, uh, and that's what I would like to understand uh, is uh, why the renewable energy uh, penetration is not so high in energy generation. And uh, Nick, if uh, uh, is, uh, or what plan are there? Because uh, I'm really interested in, in this part and what uh, technologies to store the energy are used in there. It's possible to know. 
Thanks, boys. Nick, do you have some thoughts on this one? Sorry, I, I couldn't hear much. <laughs> um, I think, I mean, can quickly summarize. So I think what Boris was asking is, um, why is there not that much penetration of renewable energies in Australia? And maybe from the energy storage side, like what technologies are you using? I guess, right, there's different battery technologies, but also other technologies, maybe. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a question, you know, what the government is looking for in the end. So I, I, would, I wouldn't say it's uh, the penetration in the energy sector in energy in Australia is not high. Uh, around more than 50% of households have um, behind the meter solar. So that's one of the largest uh, install, installed capacity behind the meter in the world for, uh, for solar. Um, large scale solar is being developed, but, um, and, and wind as well. Uh, there are huge pipeline of projects um, that are currently in development. But uh, the problem of the grid is, um, most of the countries don't face it. Australia faces uh, when, whenever you have uh, very good days for solar generation or wind generation, there are cur curtailments. And uh, for the last um, for the last two years, projects that went online, they had um, their it probably it's a very technical term, but uh, MLFs, the ma marginal loss factors, reviewed multiple times. Which means that basically you you have a hundred megawatt power plant uh, built, but in the end uh, you might be only uh, allowed to supply like seventy five percent to the grid if uh, your MLF is uh, zero point seventy five. So um, there there are problems with the grid itself. So now um, what happens is uh, a lot of uh, new developments go for um, smaller capacities. That's one route. But at the same time, we see that um, projects are trying to stick more to uh, the places the government would like to have them developed, uh, which are defined in renewable energy zones and where there is uh, more capacity available. Uh, so yeah, those are the main issues right now. But again, there's still, uh, still coal generation online that is present. Uh, and it has uh, very specific uh, terms defined when those assets will be uh, phased out. So you cannot, you know, at a certain point in time, you cannot just have more capacity on grid. Plus, um, everybody knows what hap hap happened uh, in Texas, I guess. Similar uh, things can happen in Australia as well, but uh, in the opposite direction, so uh, it gets very hot uh, in Australia, where uh, when a lot of people start using uh, AC suddenly, uh, when temperatures go, you know, high 30s, and uh, there's a lot of uh, strain on the energy grid, so a lot of capacity needs to go on very fast, and uh, that's the other reason why there's still quite a lot of uh, fossil fuels online as well. But that is changing. Okay, thanks, thanks for that, Nick. Yeah, I, I, the, the topic about curtailment is really interesting because I think that's something that's specific to um, Australia that other countries are not facing. Um, for now, I'd like to have William, Mehdi, and Casey, who just joined the panel, to give a quick intro about ourselves and some topics, um, some thoughts you have about this topic, and then we can uh, maybe also discuss more about 
um, some of the other energy storage um, systems issues that we have as well. William, would you like to go next? Uh, sure. Hi, I'm uh, out and about, so let me know if it's too noisy. Um, yeah, I was just thinking about the curtailments. Um, super interesting because they're not planned, but you can do it um, storage usually. So you can plan when to charge and when to discharge and move loads over time. But sometimes uh, it's really unplanned, as in uh, Texas as well. Uh, that's interesting. I want to hear more about that. And, uh, also, I uh, was on another talk the other day about building or developing a virtual power plant by being able to um, by being able to, um, you know, control loads in the grid, and and I want to hear more about how you see that in Australia. And then the final part, what uh, what do you guys think about the new um, warranty um, thing with Tesla that they don't allow um, discharge to the grid? They they avoid the warrant uh, if that is done. Um, yeah, I'm here to listen in and, and uh, get back if there's any comments. Um, and also, very nice to meet you all. I, I'm happy to help with some comments on those questions if, if you like. Um, yeah, <laughs> nice. In, in relation to the curtailment, and one of the, one of the reasons we see curtailment of, of solar happening in Australia is actually to do with system lows or minimum system demand. So as Nick was saying, we're traditionally worried in Australia about, you know, maximum demand, you know, hot summer afternoons, everyone's running their air conditioner, but increasingly we're getting issues with minimum demand because everyone's rooftop solar system is generating, that's taking load off the network and it creates issues with reactive power and voltage on the LV distribution network. And so in places like South Australia and Western Australia, the system operator is looking for the ability to arbitrarily switch off people's rooftop solar systems to bring load back onto the network. But there's also, I guess, programs to try and um, provide incentives to customers to, to utilise resources like batteries or, or to increase load at those times to address those issues, which obviously has the benefit of allowing the, the system to host more solar. So I guess that's a, a very interesting trend. Um, and, and virtual power plants, I guess, are part of the answer to that. So we have some quite well-developed virtual power plant projects in, in Australia where we're using um, coordinated fleets of batteries to um, provide market and network services. Um, principally um, frequency control services, but, but other services are being trialled. Um, and so, yeah, and, and, and lastly, I guess in the interest in the area of trials, we're, we're doing some number of vehicle to grid trials. Uh, so not with Tesla, as you said, there's some, there's some opposition to using um, Tesla systems for vehicle to grid, but, but Nissan, um, Nissan allow it. And so we're having a number of vehicle to grid trials where we're using um, these, these bi-directional charges. So yeah, lot, lots of innovation happening in Australia. Uh, out of out of curiosity, thanks for, for thanks thanks for the comment. Um, how how vast is your uh, electric grid? I mean, your uh, country is enormous, and uh, in in Sweden that I know more of is that like all production is up north, and it's distributed south, and it's uh, it yeah it relates to this uh, um, you know the the losses, but also the capacity uh, losses. How, how distributed is the electric grid in, in, in Australia? Yeah, so we have a very long stringy grid, both at the transmission level and at the distribution level. And, and as Nick was saying, one of the barriers to deploying more large scale renewables in Australia is, is transmission constraints. And so 
a number of the state governments are nominating these renewable energy zones and trying to fast track the development of new transmission capacity to enable those uh, renewable resources to be built. Um, but there are certainly issues with congestion on those transmission lines and, 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 lo and losses. Um, but we also see issues with the, with the, at, at, a, at, at the medium voltage level as well. And so one of the interesting trends in Australia is we're seeing networks actually shrinking in some cases. So they're, they're cutting parts of the distribution network, uh, removing the network and deploying standalone power systems. Uh, so in Western Australia, where I'm based, we have one of the longest um, medium voltage distribution networks in the world. And the, and the network operator here has a plan to, to shrink that dramatically and deploy about, I think it's about 10,000 standalone power systems over the next five years or so. So it's really interesting to see them actually, you know, cutting the poles and wires and moving to solar and battery and, and diesel solutions to support, you know, remote communities and farms at the end of long stringy distribution feeders. May, may I follow up on that bit, uh, again? Um, oh. with, with tens of thousands of new power resources, um, it, it needs a lot of more intelligence and, and control. Do you think that should be distributed as well, the control? Um, or uh, should the TSO remain as the, you know, the only, uh, or the DSO uh, in control of, of the distribution? So I guess in the case of standalone power systems, they are kind of isolated systems. So from a regulatory perspective, they're considered part of the distribution network, but they are actually independent systems that will serve, you know, one or two customers. Um, but there's a very big kind of political battle in Australia about who gets to manage and control distributed resources at the LV network level. I guess a battle between the, the network businesses and, uh, and the retailers. And at the moment, it looks like the networks are winning and they're all establishing programs to, to create these kind of DSO functions and to try and attract, I guess, more regulated revenue to establish those functions to control uh, distributed energy resources. So I guess this is kind of, kind of tension between, you know, commercial developers of virtual power plants um, who want to participate in the markets and see it as a kind of a, a very kind of liberalized approach to managing those resources and, and networks who want to say that um, we have to have control to stop the network burning down um, and that should be a regulated service that we provide to manage these resources. And so I think we're still, we're still exploring what the right model is. Thanks for that, Fabian. Um, I think Casey has raised his hand on this point as well, but if, if I could let uh, Maddy uh, give a quick intro about himself and also your thoughts about this topic, and then we can move on to Casey. Sure. Uh, hello, guys. Uh, uh, my name is Mehdi, and I, I, I work in the uh, investment uh, business for you know, the new technologies and uh, net zero. And batteries, obviously, is the interesting topic at the moment in this area, especially when it comes to uh, some background. Yeah. Uh, uh, especially in the next five years when they uh, we have seen almost a growth uh, in the share of the stocks for renewable assets and renewable utilities. But in the next five years, it's expected that those uh, utility companies uh, are going to renovate themselves, especially with the batteries and a smart grid. And uh, I can see a huge growth coming into stationary uh, storage and grid. But uh, I personally was curious about the technologies that can come into the market and take a role in the, uh, this market. At the moment, obviously, lithium-ion batteries are, uh, are used in this market. But I'm uh, curious to, to hear your views on the other type of batteries uh, and even technologies such as uh, all new, new entrants in this uh, area, such as hydrogen. And how do you see this, uh, this space uh, can take shape in the next five, 10 years? Uh, is there any specific technology that you probably have more hope for them 
to uh, to become uh, prominent in the uh, storage, grid storage, and stationary storage, um, or do you see it's going to be mixed? Uh, yeah, thank you very much. Thanks, Lemedi. Um, that's a very interesting question. I think uh, I would definitely love, love to pick that up later as well with regards to other types of batteries that will be useful for um, stationary storage, also long-duration energy storage, which is a topic that is very important recently due to the continuing issues that we see in Australia and other parts of energy storage system that needs to store um, significant more amount of energy that we what we have right now for batteries. So uh, I would just like to pass on the mic to Casey, who had a question earlier about the topic. Casey, would you like to um, unmute yourself? Yeah, thanks, Catherine. Uh, yeah, I was just clapping before, but oh, thanks for having me on. And apologies, I'm out and about on a beautiful, rainy New York City morning. So there's some background noise, I apologize. But yeah, just to introduce myself, I'm a account executive with STEM. We are the world's leader in intelligent energy storage systems. So we are out, I'm out there working with IPPs, utilities, co-ops to deploy energy storage uh, with solar attached. Um, yeah, very interested in the future about how all of these assets, all these technologies we need to knit together to rebuild our grid, how they're going to work together and be intelligently managed. So right now we're working on a site-by-site -site basis, but in the future, as these technologies become, uh, gets further penetration in renewables, how are you going to be managing this decentralized grid? Is there going to be entity or system doing that or how do disparate systems work together to stabilize the grid and make it more reliable so thanks Rob man I'll just I'll just add to that this is Rob by the way um, William your question around um, uh, around distributed grids I think uh, Casey and and the team at stem are probably the most advanced in the world on that. I've, I've you know, worked in Australia on their distributed grids in the US as well, and I think they have a long way to go, but um, especially in Southern California where they're operating grids and working with the local utility to provide resource adequacy, um, which is sort of another version of capacity and um, do that across you know, hundreds or even maybe at this point, Casey, thousands of sites. So I used to work at AMS, which was a big competitor to STEM and is now sort of bought up by another uh, entity, but um, yeah, I don't know if you want to touch on that, Casey, but I think you guys are probably doing the most advanced stuff in the world right now on that. Yeah, thank you very much, Bob. And yeah, good to see someone from AMS on here. Uh, yeah, we actually ended up winning the bid for your, your guys' Southern California uh, portfolio, which was the uh, 340 megawatt hours of storage. Um, it was the single largest transfer of operating assets to a different operating uh, system like ever for energy storage. It's, I think it was the equivalent of the big Australia battery farm, uh, Hornsdale, being transferred. Um, so yeah, that was very exciting. We have some of your old work colleagues with us now here at STEM. But yeah, I'm on, uh, not working on the VPP side, I'm more on the East Coast working in uh, the deregulated markets in Massachusetts and New York. So primarily focused on front of the meter, uh, deploying front of the meter storage. And, and and yeah, as you said, it's not thousands. We have almost a thousand sites uh, under management right now. Uh, more definitely in the pipeline. Uh, 
but yeah, it's a very exciting time and thank you for the kind words, Rob. Another question I'd have is just, we're seeing these markets are truly driven by policy. So always looking to find ways or what policy roadblocks we can get out to uh, allow energy storage to uh, meet its full potential. Uh, because as many of you know, on this call, energy storage is the Swiss Army knife uh, and will be the linchpin to help us deploy more renewable energy on the grid. Uh, but the rules and policies we have in place were designed for systems that were and technologies built in the 1900s and 1800s in some cases. So we've got to do all of that very quickly. So thank you. Thank you very much both. I think it's, it's, it's actually quite nice. You, you brought up two of the topics I was kind of, you know, was thinking we could maybe discuss as well. So you brought up technologies, which I think is a very interesting one. What technologies are out there? What are interesting technologies you think about? You know, we spoke about lithium ion, but also like, you know, other things like flow batteries, hydrogen, all kinds of things uh, also talked about. So it would be interesting to maybe discuss that from different viewpoints as well. What do you think is most likely to happen next five years, et cetera? Um, and I can see a few people raising their hand, it would be great. And then the second topic I would love to talk about, and that's kind of touching what you also mentioned, Casey, about um, you know software and AI, machine learning, these kind of topics, uh, what is kind of needed for them. And also maybe you know what could be like open source development. So you give a quick um, quick um, intro for that. So we running something called Battery Dev, battery.dev. You can see, see my profile as well. I spoke about this before. We actually just ran a competition this week on creating open source code for um, essentially for electric bus applications. So essentially what we did is we took some data from electric buses and these amazing 33 people around the world, they were developing now open source code to essentially do prediction of state of um, health of these batteries. So, and we're gonna build an open source tool out of this. And this is just the first one we're gonna build and we're thinking about building lots and lots of really cool tools, uh, which are gonna be open source and can be used worldwide. So it'd be interesting to also get your thoughts on what could be a really cool tool? Would it be about how to manage a microgrid? Would it be, you know, predictive maintenance, et cetera? So it'd be interesting to talk about these topics as well. But maybe we can start with the first one about technologies. I think a few people raised their hand as on Milos and a few others, so, and Greg. So maybe we can start with Milos. Hi, how are you? So I agree that there are a lot of technologies uh, uh, which uh, uh, the, uh, the companies are working on the development of those technologies, uh, how to, uh, how to add it to lithium-ion batteries or uh, some uh, how to store. Uh, many technologies are specifically de designed for the energy, energy storage systems for the grid. So like I know about one, but the problem what I see the, to commercialize those technologies. So in this battery industry for the last 220 years, there are many breakthrough technologies, but most of them uh, never materialized. They never. Uh, they were never commercialized. So basically, uh, some of them they are close to commercialization. Some of them are uh, far away from commercialization. Like uh, I know about one particular uh, technology, uh, liquid metal battery. Uh, Dan uh, Sadoway is working on that. Uh, it's one uh, material science uh, uh, scientist from MIT. So this technology is very close to commercialization and it's specifically designed for the grid, cheaper, safer, but heavier uh, 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 technology for the grid. 
Yeah, I can't. Uh, if I can't uh, go next, uh, it's. Uh, I think uh, I can say here is is uh, my company is we are working to solve this problem. Is I think the problem is because the production technologies are not ready to put in the market this technology. And in my company, we are working to uh, make capable that. And uh, and this is exactly that we want to do is to uh, try all these technologies to make the electrodes of these technologies and to commercialize uh, uh, at more lower cost because our machines are way more efficient. And I think the the problem of that is because uh, when I arrive the the technologies to a TRL five TRL uh, even six, the problem is. When they want to start to commercialize, they have to spend huge a fortune in assets that are not efficient to produce these batteries. And then all companies are stuck there because they can't or they can't find an investor to buy this kind of asset just to start to try. And uh, and with our uh, company, we want to solve that. So we are we start with uh, uh, reinventing how to make the electrodes more more efficient. And, and I hope. Over the next year, I will have a great news uh, about that, and uh, everybody have my contact in the in my bio, and uh, we are looking for uh, people, companies that they have these chemistries uh, that they want to try. Is with our technology, we will find the path to commercialize. Thanks for that, Boris. Um, speaking about the topic about. Energy storage system. I was wondering if anyone would have any idea about Energy Vault, which was um, the company invested by SoftBank in 2019. They were all over the news um, back in 2019 about using kinetic energy uh, to store to store to to, to to store energy. I'm curious if anybody has any thoughts to that. Um, but before we launch into it, I wanted to pass on the mic to Greg, who just joined us on stage. Greg, would you like to um, give a short introduction about yourself and your thoughts about the topic? Uh, thank you. And thank you, uh, Catherine and Simon, for having this excellent uh, room and for, I think you said you're at number seven, so congratulations and keep up the good work. <coughs> Excuse me. So in brief, uh, I'm a consulting civil engineer in Ontario, Canada, and uh, I will say, I believe from 2011 to 2014 was the term I served on the board of directors with the Ontario Society of Professional Engineers. And my perspective is not from like those that have spoken already in yourselves as being deep in the battery space. Mine is as a, an, I'll say an informed observer to the space. Um, and I would say the perspective is um, an interesting one. Uh, I didn't catch the gentleman's name that spoke a, a few uh, minutes ago, uh, but what I've seen is that the ability to shape and change innovation is very fundamentally key from the point of view of policymakers and uh, subsequent legislation and um, any regulatory that comes out of that. And that's true, I think, in most uh, North American jurisdictions, if not all. And uh, certainly, I assume the same is true in Europe, Australia, and so forth. Um, so I guess I just wanted to jump to the point of saying that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm learning the space, I'm learning what's going on, more so from uh, what it means to my point of view in the world, which, you know, doing uh, land development, doing city building, doing 
um, you know, transformation um, type projects in the world, uh, not the electrical kind, the metaphorical kind of transformation. Uh, this is a very important uh, area of interest on the, as you've said in this, the grid scale for uh, battery storage. So uh, just to conclude that, the last thing I would offer, and I'll, I'll, I'll pass the mic, is simply to say that I just this morning con completed the audiobook of Bill Gates' latest uh, work, which uh, is how to avert a climate disaster, I believe, if I got it, or how to avoid one, if I got the name right, which I think is a great um, call to action book and a great introductory subject matter book for people like myself who might, you know, understand it on a more scientific or even general level without having the, the deep knowledge that uh, others here do. So I just wanted to say my bit there and thank you again for allowing me to speak. Have a good session. Thank you, Greg. Uh, also, Laura, who's just joined us today, would you like to give a short intro by yourself and your thoughts for the topic? Hey, Laura, can you hear? Hi. Yeah, thank you so much, Catherine. Um, it's really cool to hear everyone speak about this because I think batteries is our, it's the biggest thing, right? Um, that we really need to make wind and solar work. So I'm in Canada and I host a sustainable radio show. It airs um, coast to coast and uh, available on podcasts, Zero Waste Countdown. And uh, I see kind of a big issue with, with wind and solar here with our cold, cold, cold weather. Uh, my solar panel, I'm always trying to get the snow off. Uh, today, it'll be covered in snow as well. And then, of course, the batteries seem to decrease um, in the really cold temperatures when we get up to the minus 20, minus 30 uh, Celsius. Um, and so, yeah, with battery, it'll be really cool. And lately, I've been in, exploring nuclear as well for um, for a backup. Uh, so thanks for letting me join in on the, the conversation. It's really great to hear that so many people are interested in uh and cleaning everything up and getting some good storage. Thanks. And and I would like to 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 put on here is in in China they are using uh, other chemistries to to store energy, but this technology is uh, uh, anybody know why this uh, chemistry is like a uh, is uh, oh, I forgot the the, the name is. ALF-T-Batteries? And, uh, uh, and I don't know why we are not using that. And, uh, and just uh, we can see here and the state that they commercialize uh, storage, uh, uh, like power wall or something like that with lithium ion batteries, when the lithium ion batteries are not designed to store it energy. Uh, it can work to store it energy, but I think the cycles of these batteries are really low. And uh, and just I would like to understand why not we are using these technologies that are available and, and we can start to use tomorrow. Does someone have some thoughts on this one? I mean, William? I'm, um, I'm not sure here, but the supply chains are very much um, controlled by a quite a few number of uh, companies and countries and areas. And, and I just want to put it out there, if whether this is related to 
just being able to tap into the, to the supply chains for these technologies. I think that the Western strategy to, to really be a player in the battery uh, ecosystem is to you know launch through the vehicles, and they've not really focused on looking at stationary storage where different um, technologies and chemistries are are viable. So I think it's just a focus of the industry on on, on other technologies. And, yeah, and this I, is Robin. I, I was actually going to build off your your point. Milos, I was kind of curious, and maybe you can answer this. I, I just wanted to ask the question anyway to broaden Boris's one. But um, you know, I, I, as someone who's on the business development side, you know, I, I think about commercialization, and and usually I'm I'm pretty skeptical, uh, and have been for a while on new, better technologies, and that's just my jaded personality. But uh, from working in it for a while, but um, just curious if people think there is a new technology on the horizon. Um, and, you know, typically the way I think about it is, you know, what can I sign a warranty against, a 20-year warranty against that a bank will feel comfortable with? That's the, that's my benchmark. And so I'm just curious if there is anything on the horizon people think is truly going to get there within the next three to five years that could be, um, you know, whether it be incremental on the kind of NMC and LFP batteries we have today that are lithium-ion based or whether it be kind of game-changing. Um, just interested to hear thoughts on the people who think are much closer to this than I am. Yes, so... I will try to answer both of your uh, questions, Boris and uh, uh, Europe. So LTO, uh, uh, LTO batteries using titanium, like the anode uh, material instead of graphite. Again, it's a new technology, but titanium is much more expensive than the graphite and much less available than the graphite. You need much bigger batteries for the DSS uh, uh, systems. So basically, I don't know if uh, that will be via feasible technology for ESS. I guess not, because of the cost of the this battery and because of the uh, scarcity of this titanium like the material. We are using for 30 years graphite <coughs> like the anode material, and it's already this uh, uh, material is already perfected for the lithium-ion battery, and uh, for like for Europe, like I already said, the largest problem with those technologies commercialization. So there are a lot of issues for the uh, why those technologies are not uh, getting commercialized. Um, and uh, that's the problem of the battery uh, for uh, from the time when they were invented uh, in uh, 1800. So basically, a lot of breakthrough breakthrough technologies, but they never commercialized. Why? Because battery is complex chemical, uh, not complicated, but very complex chemical process. And one uh, battery pack, like the car for the car, or uh, even more important for ESS systems, it's like one uh, chemical plant uh, com uh, com combined in one container for the ESS. So complex chemical plant you are building for uh, uh, in one container. Thanks for that, Milo. So just to um, echo with what Milo was saying earlier, um, LTOs is typically more um, expensive than what we, the other lithium ions that we see out there in the market. And um, LTOs actually have really um, high discharge rate, which means it can discharge a lot faster than the other um, lithium ion types. So for energy storage systems, um, the discharge rate is not as high um, as compared to the EVs, for example. Um, this is uh, assuming that we are not using energy storage system for automatic frequency control to the grid, of course, but 
for the other type of scenarios that we are looking at, generally um, energy storage systems uh, have lower discharge rates. Uh, so the uh, there's just sharing some statistics here. Um, Wood McKenzie recently published a report um, last year, December, about how LFP batteries is poised to overtake NMC as a dominant stationary chemistry within the next decade. So um, we're actually seeing an increase in the usage of um, LFP batteries, and that will come predominantly from um, China being some of the larger manufacturers like CATL, for example, um, in batteries are, are the uh, dominant leaders in LFPs. Um, so uh, with regards to more mature um, battery chemistries, we are seeing the rise of LFPs overtaking NMC, at least for dominant um, stationary um, storage systems. But the other types of uh, batteries could be interesting to look at, um, such as hydrogen, um, because uh, uh, a lot of countries are actually looking towards um, longer duration of energy storage. Um, especially in countries where the prol proliferation of wind and um, solar uh, is, is actually pushing for this. So I'm curious to also hear what you know uh, the panel has to say about what kinds of chemistry or what kinds of better technology could be useful for longer duration energy storage systems. Um, and also I've, I've, uh, I've seen earlier that my uh, Mezzi and NMH have also raised your hands and Casey as well to, oh, and Boris, to to um, about this topic, so maybe we'll go in that order with Medi, Animesh, um, KC, and Boris. But just to reset the room, currently uh, we are halfway through, more than slightly more than halfway through uh, for this topic. So with this this session will last till eleven thirty um, Singapore time, which is about uh, forty minutes more, if I do my math correctly. <laughs> So if anyone has anything else to add to this topic, feel free to raise your hand and we can put you on stage. So uh, Mehdi, would you, would you like to uh, um, yeah, answer a question? Yeah, it, it was actually just following up on uh, the point that you raised the, about the energy vault, uh, which is something you mentioned, yeah, that it was on the news uh, for a while, but it's, it's one of those uh, things that is surprisingly nobody's talking about after that. And uh, Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and uh, I was curious. I, I I got to know it through Bill Gross actually, uh, and you know he, he was putting lots of program about it, and it was uh, very interesting to me, especially when uh, you put it in the context of cost and efficiency of the battery and the ability to build it alongside a wind farm, for example, that you just put on a tower and that that tower with the eighty percent efficiency that they're claiming and the cost that's cheaper than any other battery in the world at the moment. Uh, it, 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 it's, it's going to be a very promising technology and especially in terms of when, when you're building a wind farm, you can just build one of those alongside of that. Then uh, you have a construction. It makes it very attractive. But if, uh, going back to your point, I don't know why nobody's talking about it that much. That, that, that's, that, that, that's something I, I don't know. Uh, you know, it, it's a very interesting technology, energy vault, and probably worse uh, people who are interested in the topic get, uh, look at that and see, you know, if they see that some some future for that uh, in future, uh, you know, in going forward. Absolutely, thanks for that, Mehdi. Um, Animesh, would you do you have something to add? Oh uh, yeah, thanks, Catherine. So I think my first point was about LTO, but I think uh, uh, Milo's and you you yourself um, answered it quite well. Uh, the second bit was a bit of a high level question. So I'm not an expert on like grids by you know any stretch, especially given you know the kind of um, experts that we have on the panel. But when you talk about it, my mind goes back, um, you know, 
uh, in the let's say the start of the 2010s, we saw the whole thing you know, with, with you know PV cells, how the cost how the cost went down, how that led to an increase in you know proliferation of solar around the world, how new industries were set up, how the gradual rollback of subsidies led to the further consolidation of the industry. And we're seeing something sort of similar with the batteries right now. So I'm really curious to know, like, you know, uh, to get some inputs or insights on, you know, uh, what are some of the, I would say, the most prominent macro trends in the industry that we're seeing right now, especially given how, assuming like, you know, the lithium-ion based batteries continue to be the status quo continue to be the dominant, I would say, chemistry that is being used. What are some of the macro trends of where, you know, uh, the battery or the battery cost can, curve can take us? What are the, you know, broader uh, policy, trend, policy trends that are taking place? Uh, yeah. Thanks for that, Animal. So just to uh, quickly answer that question, um, we are we have seen last year that the battery pack cost could be as low as uh, less than 100 per kilowatt hour. So definitely cost is a, a big driver to the rampant adoption of um, energy storage systems, especially for lithium ion. And I think going forward, um, because of the uh, chemistry that's in LFPs, uh, we'll, we'll probably see that more um, often in energy storage system, um, given that it is um, less costly for, um, as compared to NMCs. Um, I'm more. I'm also interested to find out more about the novel technologies that's involved in batteries, such as um, hydrogen, as, as I mentioned earlier, or any other types of um, chemistries that may help to, uh, you know, really speed up the process and also be more useful for a longer duration energy storage system or modularization of energy storage system, which is also a, a trend that we're currently seeing. Um, so we'd we'll love to hear the panel um, if anyone has anything to add to this topic. And I think Casey, you may have raised your hand earlier to to add on to something, and then we can follow by Boris and Milos. Yeah, I forget what it was now at this point. So yeah, I mean, I'll just t touch on a few things. Um, definitely see LFP as being. Um, like a dominant technology going forward. We're already starting to see that, but we want to, the problem is just finding, to Rob's point, finding bankable solutions from tier one high quality suppliers is a big issue. Oh. So having a, being able to find a technology that you can get a 20 year warranty to put to deploy and put on a project that someone's going to be able to finance um, is a big issue. For any energy vault, uh, vault I haven't heard much in a while. Um, in theory, I love it because the duration of that battery is theoretically like infinite. You can build a tower and let it sit there for hundreds of years uh, until it topples down. But um, uh, yeah, I'd just like to learn a lot more about that sort of technology. And we talk about this all the time um, within my company, but thinking about life beyond lithium. So what's coming next? Lithium's great right now because we have decades of track records of lithium ion batteries working well in electronics. Um, trying to find a solution, a new technology that will have that sort of track record, as well as have the economies of scale in uh, ter uh, tertiary applications like electric vehicles or uh, smartphones, computers, you name it, 
um, is really what's going to be needed to drive down those uh, the learning curve costs. So, like, yeah, we we're going to get lithium ion batteries very cheap, but they may top out at about uh, ten uh, about ten hours of duration. So you get uh, like a hundred percent decarbonized grid if that's even possible. We're going to need energy storage that can last uh, weeks, months, even years. Um, so that sort of technology is greatly needed and to commercialize that um, a lot of uh, federal policy I think is going to need to play a role and we've seen with the Biden administration some very good signals um, Stephanie Granholm was just uh, uh, appointed uh, appro uh, sorry approved by the Senate this week and Biden has already announced uh, ambition to uh, I think it's quadruple the uh, DOE's R&D budget um, uh, over the next 10 years to, uh, and part of that to build out new battery technologies and help commercialize, commercialize them. We even saw it last year before Biden was elected that there's bipartisan support for additional energy storage research, as well as executive orders this week focusing on uh, supply chains for critical uh, materials, particularly around energy storage. I, I would just add very briefly to Casey's comment too, and I think Casey, you will know this, but um, on the energy vault side, uh, I do think it's, and this is true for any new emerging technology, I think you really have to take a close look at what it's gonna be doing. And, you know, I'm not sure, I, I don't have clarity on like the energy vault and what its capabilities are, but, you know, for example, if, if it's just doing energy shifting from long periods of time, you know, for like hours in the morning to hours in the evening or something, I think, you know, it may have some some help there, but I suspect that if you're trying to do like, if you're trying to participate in frequency regulation or you know short short uh, term operating reserves, spinning reserves, um, it may run into issues there. Or trying to you know the wind turbine, the wind farm, uh, you know suddenly drops, you know they need to pick that up really quickly. I think those kind of renewables firmings, uh, I, I'm not sure what the capabilities are, but it's it's uh, even if it's cheap, you need to understand if it can meet whatever the requirements are of how you're going to use it, um, potentially multiple requirements. I think that's probably not lost on anyone here, but I suspect that's part of the reason why Energy Vault is not as been talked about recently. But um... yeah, that, that, that's a, that's a good point, Rob. Uh, uh, I think uh, you know Energy Vault probably is going to be a uh, winner when it comes to uh, curtailing curtailment, if you like, uh, for, for the, the, the renewable generation that are connected to grids rather than providing grid services. But uh, some of the reason that you would need those grid services is the, the, uh, the, the extra or intermittent nature of the, the renewables, anyway. I think it's interesting yeah. to see how the panel is um, very positive about the technology. Um, and perhaps a hybrid could be possible. I think that's just something for us to all think about. So uh, I think earlier Milo's raised your hand and Pearl White Boris yes. and Animesh. Yes, uh, so uh, I think the future uh, is uh, tailor-made uh, technologies for the specific use, like tailor-made uh, technologies for the ESS systems. Right now we are using the lithium-ion battery for almost everything. So. Um, I would pay attention to those technologies which they are close uh, to commercialization because it takes a long time to commercialize technology and the uh, uh, risk is the, uh, that high risk is there that they will never be commercialized. So 
I would pay attention to those new technologies which are tailor-made for the ESS system. So like I already mentioned one um, company, it's called Ambri. They are very close to commercialization and uh, it's a, li a liquid metal battery. So basically this, this technology is tailor-made for the, for the ESS systems. Like I told you in the beginning, my firm is private equity investment firm. So we are looking for the investment for, uh, opportunities to those technologies, including to those technologies. So um, there are many other technologies, but uh, like you already mentioned, Katrin, the lithium, there are many kinds, several kinds of the lithium ion batteries. Uh, the two established ones are uh, LFPs and, uh, and uh, NMCs, but uh, those are, those are the, so LFPs is uh, already commercialized. So here is the question, how we can deploy more LF, uh, LFPs to ESS or add less NMCs. Maybe also, thanks Milos, maybe just one thing, quick thing to drop in there as well, right? I think. One thing to be aware of is, you know, like you meant Ampri and a few other companies as well. And I think also it's just, you know, it's, it's kind of, a, um, you know, it's kind of highlights also how complicated it is to actually make these things work. And especially at the price point, which is attractive, right? I mean, Ampri and a few other companies, they've been announcing that they're very close for a long time, right? And I think the big issue you can see is, and was mentioned before also, the price point, right? If you want to now bring in, let's say, new technology, in the past it was enough to say my technology going to be let's say $100, right, per kilowatt hours or something, you know, and, um, but now we're already hitting 100 with lithium iron, right? So um, I think a lot of these targets, which have other technologies, like also Redox Flow, et cetera, right, which they could use, let's say, to say, you're going to hit this price point, and that's why we're much cheaper than lithium iron, because at the time, let's say lithium iron was at 500. Now it's like, you know, close to 100. So I think that also makes it even harder, right, for some of these technologies to really, you know, come on the market. Um, so I'm quite curious to see actually which going to survive. And maybe just one thing also to to mention is redox flow batteries, right? Is I think one of these things often brought up, you know, which where you can decouple essentially power from capacity, which is of course quite attractive for a stationary use because, as Catherine mentioned, you don't need maybe the high power, you know, for some of these applications. But even here, it would be quite interesting, right? I mean, I've been visiting many of these installations or quite a few, and the problem I've been observing is that all of them were always shut down because they had some maintenance problems, which was interesting to me, right? Because I mean, some of these technologies are kind of highlighted for being super stable, and in theory they are, right? Like the chemistry itself could be, but then it's just, it makes it more complex, right? Like, you know, maintenance with pumps and all kinds of things. So I don't want to say, you know, this won't happen, but I'm just saying it's, you know, it is quite hard to, you know, compete these days because of the cost, but also from the maintenance perspective. Yes, like you said, Simon, the, it's uh, relatively easy, or it's difficult to make the one first prototype of the, uh, technology and to make this battery work, but it's at about thousand times uh, more difficult to uh, build the, the factory and produce it in in the uh, commercial scale. It means that that's the problem. That's one of the factor of the problems of with the commercialization of those technologies. Yes, I'm so they can work. They can work in theory, but in practice, they are not working. And now is uh, uh, because uh, the project that uh, we are uh, we want to to set up a pilot line in England, and and now we are making a feasibility study with uh, one guy that, that they have open source uh, uh, hydrogen technology, 
and uh, and we are making a project together to power with hydrogen our pilot line and uh, and look that is totally possible and we can uh, and we will make that and uh, i hope to succeed with this experiment that uh, that we will do i will take risk but i will try to power my pilot line with hydrogen that uh, is, is is currently possible thanks boris william do you have something to add yes <laughs> to, to what Milos uh, mentioned the two points uh, with the tailor-made uh, technologies uh, for the right application i think really is uh, is key here uh, there's so many different aspects of the battery that really uh, decides where it should uh, or could be used and, and it's everything the chemistry is one thing but then you can look at the structure of, of the anode and the cathode and you can look at the thickness of it you look at the uh, electrolyte and there's so many different uh, combinations uh, that I think will make it different difficult to, to scale or commercialize the perfect battery for the perfect uh, uh, application and I wonder if any one of you have any experience with how easy it is to it is to um, to to iterate or to change the design when the factories are already up and running that's one thing and then then i just want to uh, yeah, emphasize the the my standpoint on the it should be the right technology in the right application also on a on a wider base looking at hydrogen is super in some applications and batteries the same but i think they all have to work together and and nothing is really really the silver bullet here thanks Thanks for that, William. So just really quickly on this point, um, definitely agree that tailor-made um, solutions would be would be good for the applications themselves. But uh, theoretically, uh, practically speaking, it's actually it's actually quite difficult. And um, it's interesting that last week when we we're talking about EVs and battery swapping, uh, people are actually pushing for standardization um, across the EV. So that's just something interesting to look into. Um, I think we have Casey and Animesh who have also raised their hand on the topic. Casey, would you like to, uh, do you have something to add here? Oh, no, I, I was just um, uh, clapping and right, chuck clapping. <laughs> ch chuckling at myself from William's question at how easy it is to change uh, factories once they're up and running. It didn't sound easy at all, but I don't have anything else to add. <laughs> um, and just uh, want to mention, I, di I did my uh, thesis uh, at Northvolt. Um, the, the battery company here in uh, Sweden soon launching up in the very north, and uh, and I, I've, I've been in the factory and it's <laughs> I'm not I'm I'm not a, a process engineer. Um, I was looking on the recycling side, but it certainly looks very difficult to uh, to tailor make uh, tailor make uh, batteries after um, yeah, commercialization of. Yeah, absolutely. I think. Um... Animesh would probably have something to add on topic of customization for um, and technology. Uh, thanks, Catherine. Yeah. So when we talk about like, you know, different batteries, I think Simon kind of touched upon it, uh, you know, uh, aside from the anode or the cathode design, if you're looking at, you know, traditional like variations of a lithium ion battery, there's a lot of, you know, beyond lithium as well. And this is not just, uh, you know, on a lab scale or a pilot scale. Um, there are a number of startups or even larger companies that have, you know, smaller product lines of products which are already been deployed. Um, so obviously vanadium flow or, you know, different kind of redox flow batteries is um, one aspect of it. The advantage, as Simon mentioned, is, you know, 
able to decouple power and capacity and also that uh, uh, you really don't have to worry about too much you don't have to worry too much about how it degrades uh, given that you know you're constantly pumping out um, the, ele the electrolyte or the whatever you know the liquids that are inside and you can keep it running for a long time at the same time if you're looking at something like you know um, I had the opportunity to speak with some people who work with, you know, off-grid, like, you know, uh, energy storage in the sense that, you know, setting up small units on on an island or really, really far off, you know, and these are small um, energy storage units. They're obviously setting up uh, a reliable redox flow battery is not practical. So even if they have to pay a premium in terms of total cost of ownership, um, they typically go for lithium-ion battery packs because they're usually more transportable. And beyond that, like, you know, I had the, like, um, there are some companies that are even looking at something more niche, like zinc air batteries, which they are deploying for things like uh, uh, mobile towers. Um, so, in I would say in Southeast Asia, and I would say in, in, in Indonesia, in uh, Malaysia, there are actually a smart, uh, there are a handful of, I would say, companies which make these mobile towers, uh, which have these, uh, you know, the operation of these antennas and so on. Obviously, it's a very niche application. But there, oddly, like zinc air battery seems to have made a comeback. So in terms of when you look at, you know, customization, it's not just a, you know, play of lithium ion or variations in capacities or, you know, uh, variations in how pack design or how you configure these modules. It's a, like sometimes you look at entirely, entirely different chemistries, entirely, entirely designs altogether. Thank you, Anmesh. Okay, yes. so a different point. Yeah, and actually thinking a bit more on this now, um, I would say I would almost go the other direction in that customization of the battery, um, like the cells themselves. I'm not sure how important that is, as it is to have cells or modules that are widely applicable to multiple different use cases. But I mean, what we need right now is to drive down the the cost the cost of these systems to then deploy them further. We need, as I've mentioned before, multiple applications like lithium is great because we've got electric vehicles. Um, NMC is is great energy density for that use case. LFP will probably take over, but learn a lot from NMC manufacturing. Um, hydrogen, I see a lot of different disparate use cases as well. If we try to focus too much on like customizing the perfect battery for the perfect application, if we're talking about like cells today, um, I, I definitely see, like, in terms of manufacturability um, and size, weight, all of those factors, reducing raw materials, um, I, I'm, I'm not sure how, like, customizable we need as far as we just need to be able to put out the best batteries possible right now. So lowest, lowest cost, uh, highest energy density, like, smallest footprint, uh, um, and then everything else can can flow from that in the future. It's a very yeah, fair point, Casey. Well said. Yeah, and and these batteries, like they can do dozens of different things. And and really, where we need the innovation is like just the imagination, new business models, new policy to like enable these new technologies to uh, one compete on an even uh, footing with uh, traditional technologies. And then figure out what else we can do. Um, it, it, I often uh, make the analogy where our electrical grid is a corded telephone from the 1960s, whereas energy storage will enable us to have a grid comparable to a smartphone today, where, like, yes, you can call, you can text, but you can also do a million different things 
and the value you can get from that and what people use them for are as disparate as like you're like only limited by your imagination. Thank you, Casey. I think that's that's a very good point. Um, maybe just one thing also to kind of bring to the other point, which I would like to talk about um, because we don't have too much time left anymore. And maybe Casey also has some thoughts, but maybe also other people. And that's exactly like also from the you know from the software side and automation, right? I think we're now looking at a very different grid. Um, you know, like like a lot of decentralization is happening from production, you know, of solar, wind, et cetera, but also, you know, consumption always has been, I guess, distributed and low base. But I think, um, you know, kind of how you run this very efficiently, you know, we have models, you know, like Google, of course, hyped it up, you know, that built something, but I guess also your company does, and a few other companies do. Maybe just to kind of, if you have some thoughts on, um, you know, what kind of, like, how can we like technically, you know, build these grids in an efficient way? What, what would, you, like, let's say, what would like a grid of the future look like, um, in your opinion? Uh, I think this was directed to me, Simon. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm probably not the best person to answer this, but I mean, I see these technologies we have now are a lot cheaper and a lot more decentralized than they were in the past. So we're gonna, like, we're not gonna have the old model of large centralized generators and miles and miles of transition. We're gonna have a distributed grid and with that, uh, with just inherently from that uh, design and from the technologies we're deploying, it's a lot more variable. It's a lot, a lot different operating um, characteristics. You're, we're going to need to get a lot smarter, a lot faster. Um, and that's where STEM, like we're, we're technology agnostic. We just want to make sure we're providing the best, best hardware out there that's available. Um, we're really a, a software company at our heart. Um, and I'm not a software guy, so I can't speak, speak to that um, as intelligently, but we batteries in themselves are, are kind of dumb. They just sit there. There's bricks that can charge and discharge. What you do with it and the intelligence and how to use that and use it uh, to like its highest capabilities, that's really where uh, I think the future is going. Um, and as these cost curves come down, it eventually we could get to the point where uh, batteries are being commoditized, just like um, uh, solar panels are. And and here, yeah, just uh, briefly touching on the on the data here is, you can either look at the, behind or in front of the the meter, one where you can actually um, use loads, um, as, you know, to de developing this uh, virtual power plant to keep the grid stability. But then on the other hand, you can use, uh, on, on the other hand, you can use storage as a smarter way to just keep energy local. You don't have to, to transmit everything everywhere. Um, and, and being able to balance behind and in front of the grid, uh, uh, behind the meter and in front of the meter um, distribution, I think is, uh, is key as well. But I'm uh, leaving you now. Thanks, Simon. Thanks a lot. Talk for today. Thanks, William. Cool. Let's just also maybe have 15 minutes left. So we have two new people um, joining, Geoffrey and Moe. Do you maybe want to quickly say hi and what your thoughts are about this topic? Hi. Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm a, a clean energy consultant in Canada, in Montreal. And uh, we do a lot of work focusing on EVs, but also uh, energy storage, stationary, but also batteries used for electric vehicles. 
Um, I guess I just joined in, not really sure what the context is, but I can say uh, the work that we're doing uh, here, I'm, I'm quite interested in looking at sort of the supply chain for batteries and how that can sort of enable price reduction and also, you know, figuring out economic development opportunities for Canada. But I think also what we're what I've seen here with some of the research happening in Quebec related to uh, solid state batteries, and um, yeah, I'm wondering if anyone has any thoughts on on that on the solid state side of things and how if that's going to enable uh, you know further uh, deployments of storage. Uh, I've seen some assessments by Bloomberg New Energy Finance that. Solid states are expected to be cheaper than regular uh, liquid electrolyte uh, batteries. So, yeah, just kind of like uh, this quick brief introduction of who I am, but I'm not, I just joined in, so I'm not really sure if we're trying to answer a specific question here. Thanks, Mori. Maybe just to reset the room really quick. Um, so, we're talking today about stationary storage and grids. Um, and of course, you know how batteries and different energy storage devices are playing a role in this. We actually had a session on um, station, uh, sorry, on solid state. I think two or three weeks back. Uh, we're going to post this also in our podcast, so hopefully maybe you can listen to this. Might be interesting as well. But I think you know, and also the topic of battery chain is a very interesting one. I think we should definitely address this in a future session. But just from today, we really look at the stationary angle, and yeah. So that's just as I said to everyone, get everyone on the same page. Jaffe, um, do you want to go next? Yes, sure. Um, thank you, Simon, for inviting me. Uh, this is Geoffrey Mutabazi. I'm uh, the founder of ChargeCo uh, Technologies in Uganda. So uh, I, uh, ChargeCo is a startup that focuses on setting up um, uh, public pay-per-use charging stations for mobile phones. But we're also looking at the electric vehicle ecosystem and you know, looking at ways we can add value to that, though it's still a growing um, market. Uh, in Uganda and East Africa, where we're based. So um, I would like to basically add some value to this discussion by saying, so in, in terms of the future of grids, we are definitely looking at solar panels um, coming in more as a construction material. The same way you come with a roof, you, I mean, you put a roof on your house and, you know, all the walls, I mean, panels will have to be part of that because they're not that complicated to add. However, storage is one of the most, well, one of the difficult parts of, um, uh, of, of you know, this whole discussion. So I'm looking at maybe, you know, if every house had its own panel where it could generate its own electricity um, and there was like a community-based um, battery, <clears throat> that's operated by a particular service provider and is, you know, subscribed to by the whole community. So that that particular subscribe, I mean, that particular company or service provider would be maintaining this battery, uh, making sure it's running, making sure they, you know, uh, they have the right battery, it's taking on the right load and, you know, keeping in touch with, you know, the community's energy needs. Because... The biggest challenge is, okay, you're going to buy a battery for your home, but when you start off, maybe you need, let's say, 10 kilowatts, so you get like a Tesla Powerwall too. But then your energy consumption or your energy needs grow, and you maybe need a 20 kilowatt battery. Then, you know, five years down the road, you need a 
let's say 30 kilowatt battery be able to keep up with your needs guess what's going to happen you're going to have to let's say the battery lasts say 10 or 15 years uh, you're going to have to buy a battery you know every five years because you, your needs are not keeping up with the battery and the capacity also also reduces over time so that's too much hassle compared to panels which are more predictable last longer um, can be integrated into the building and um, can directly supply your house with electricity and then you know this battery thing could be a subscription that you don't have to worry about something that you know that you don't have to think about too much can i add something to previous discussion the to finish the technologies i think uh, that for this decade there is uh, no competing technology to the lithium-ion battery technology because what we need to build is not only technology what we need to build is the whole supply value chain and we need to build it fast so we are already in the process of the building supply value chain and in the same time uh, improving uh, the lithium-ion battery technology so other technologies, maybe they are uh, going to be commercialized in Nietzsche's market, but we have the now 200 uh, giga plants in the pipeline. <clears throat> we are building the mines, we are building the uh, processing plants, we are building the, uh, and we are uh, re-electrifying uh, everything. I mean, electrical vehicles, energy storage systems. So we need, we need to build a supply value chain in the huge scale going from 200 gigawatt hours production last year uh, of the lithium-ion batteries or batteries uh, itself to, if Tesla is right, 20,000, 20 terawatt hours of the, uh, of the production in 2030. So I don't think that uh, uh, considering all those, all those uh, factors, there is other technologies which they can, they can beat lithium-ion battery. I mean, maybe uh, in the best case scenario, they can capture like five uh, percent of the uh, of the market shares, but ninety five percent or ninety percent of the uh, uh, of the battery in the future in the uh, two thousand thirty will be lithium ion battery. Casey, did you have something you want to say, or did you was it clapping? <laughs> I was clapping, but I think Mills is exactly right. Lithium ion has. Uh, a couple of decades head start on any new technology we're trying to develop now. Um, and it also kind of related to the supply chain issue. Um, uh, I'm not sure if we talked, if this was brought up earlier or on a different podcast. Um, uh, battery recycling. I know we're running out of time here. I'd love to hear more of the panelists' thoughts on on that. Uh, and, or if it could be taken as a, a topic for another discussion, another day. We actually spoke about this two weeks ago um, on Second Life and Recycling, and yeah, we're still going to post a recording of it, but yeah, it's definitely a topic. And I mean, there might be topics we're going to bring back, but actually, which is maybe also a nice segue for us, I'm just looking at the time, Catherine, to kind of maybe talk about um, next week's topic as well, and I'm happy to introduce our conversation started as well for next week. What do you think, Catherine? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would just like to tidy up 
kind of conversation that we have here. So it's really great that Casey ended up on the note of battery recycling, because I think that relates to something that we mentioned earlier about um, standardization or tailor-made battery cells earlier and how, you know, if we potentially tailor, tailor-made battery cells for all these different applications, then how this how would that help in battery recycling? And currently, a lot of the energy storage systems are actually using recycled um, battery cells from vehicles. So I think it's about how do we maximize the potential of using the battery technology for different applications, and um, potentially you know fully maximize the value of the batteries, um, so that we are not leading to more wastage, uh, which is what we're initially trying to um, uh, prevent for you know adopting cleaner energy uh, sources um, to power our vehicles, homes, uh, um, et cetera, industries. So yeah, with that, um, I think that would conclude our session on stationary storage. Um, next week, we're having a very exciting Firestarter speaker as well. I will, I will leave it to Simon to um, introduce in our topic for next week. So. Thank you, Catherine. Yeah, and in a way, like, you know, next week is really the, um like also building on today's topic in some way. So next we're going to be about energy access, which of course it's, you know, its own kind of stationary topic, but it's, you know, it's really about, you know, um, essentially like, you know, for, for place, like, you know, essentially creating like, you know, energy systems in, in other places. And we have really, we're really fortunate to have Harani Heva Vaga with us, who was the battery research lead of M Copa Solar, and she is, which is a um, market leader in pay as you go solar home systems. And they've been providing energy access to 1 million households across sub-Saharan Africa. And yeah, so she worked with the energy team, she was leading the, the battery research team. And it's super fascinating. You know, I think some of the aspects we can talk about are maintenance questions, right? Kind of how can you build systems which are going to last? And we spoke about this before, right? Especially with new technologies, it, it's quite challenging. Like, you know, we have as battery associates, we work with people from over 30 countries, you know, and we have so many stories where, you know, there would be a really nice, you know, intention. Let's say a government would sponsor, you know, like a nice energy system to, you know, to some place, and essentially after a few years, it's all breaking down because it wasn't really built in a way that it would last, um, and it couldn't be really, you know, checked on from the distance. So there wasn't any predictive maintenance. Something cool, which those have been doing with MCOPA and a few other companies, and we can hopefully get some more together as well. Is they've been work and they've been working on predictive maintenance. So there's some really cool research they've been doing with the University of Oxford, and we're talking to them as well, um, really trying to predict, you know, when are these battery systems going to fail? And that includes, you know, lead acid, which is kind of, you know, you could say the previous generation, but still widely used in many of developing countries, especially, but also, you know, lithium ion, you know, like how can you, how can you predict when it's going to fail? Because, you know, you know, then you have to essentially send something in place, right, to replace that. So next week's really going to be about all these really interesting topics of how can we, you know, Essentially, I think there's three and a half billion or more people don't have energy access right now. Um, so how can we bring energy to them? Um, what technologies you know exist which can be scaled? What's the role of batteries and all of this? And yeah, it would be really amazing to have you all back next week um, at the same time, um, always at 3 p.m. CET, um, 10 p.m. Well, I think 10 p.m. right in Singapore time. Yeah, that's and, right. And very early in in the US. <laughs> I know that one. <laughs> so I'm always really appreciative of everyone who, who spends their morning with us. 9 a.m. Eastern. 9 a.m. Brilliant. And New York time, right? Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think West Coast, it's it's super early. So um yeah, so I think, you know, as as Catherine mentioned, we also applied for a club. So as soon as we have that, we also want to, you know, create some different rooms for different time zones. So that's something we're definitely excited about. 
but till then we're going to stick to this time because it works for you know for for most people involved wonderful catherine do you want to have any closing remarks yeah thanks for that Simon. so uh we are also looking for firestar speakers every week and we're really trying to invite more women to join us as firestar speakers so if you're interested or working in anything related to EVs, um, stationary storage, or just batteries in general, just feel free to follow me and Simon and uh, give us a ping on LinkedIn or, or, or Instagram or social, um, social media handles. And we will really love to invite you um, to speak on the topic and just to kind of you know kickstart the conversation. And as always, we're very thankful for everyone who joined us, the regulars um, the, um, on, on the panel. So yeah. Feel free to follow uh, all of us here right um, on on stage if you would like to be notified uh, about the session next week. And um, yeah, with that, thank you all very much. Simon, would you like to um, add off anything or? Just one quick, yeah, just one quick thing mm -hmm. is, you know, because a few people have been asking because there's this little podcast sign on top. So we're recording this because we want to share this more widely, um, especially with the Android users, you know, to make sure um, you know, they can access it as well. So we're going to put us on batteryinsiders.com. You can see there's this little battery BA um, next to us, Catherine, myself. Um, so we're both part also with Battery Associates and Bavia and a few others as well. And um, so essentially, yeah, you can just go on there. Actually, Bavia and I, we're going to jump on another call right after this and going to record also a bit of a reflection. Um, so like a, like a short snippet. And yeah, we're going to upload this all on batteryinsiders.com. And yeah, and if one of you doesn't want to be part of this please let me know and i'm happy to catch you out um you know it's it's not super easy but i'm happy to do so so please you know, let me know maybe you know on linkedin or so soon so i know i you know should remove something but other than that you know super grateful to have you all involved it's it's always i learn a lot every time um it's really wonderful to you know to build a community and yeah just you know other guests we can say till next time <laughs>